John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of uh, the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. <coughs> Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We live in a, in a modern context with all kinds of wonderful advances, but what makes it difficult to believe the resurrection is not our modern context. In fact, um, if you go all the way back to John Calvin, who was one of the, the great reformers during the, the Reformation, he wrote a lot about how difficult it was and how there were real struggles with believing the resurrection. He, he said it is difficult to believe that bodies, when consumed with rottenness, will at length be raised in their season. He also recognized, Calvin did, that without God's help, without the, the work of the Spirit working in our life to bring us to belief, that, um, that it would be very difficult to believe the gospel. He said, no one is truly persuaded of the, of the coming resurrection, that is when Jesus returns and raises our bodies to, to new life, unless he is seized with wonder and ascribes to the power of God its due glory. You can read every apologetic book there has ever been written. Uh, you can ponder the mysteries of the universe and the complexities of the human body. And, 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 and though all of creation testifies to the, to the glory of God, their testimonial alone will not persuade you to believing faith. I believe like Thomas, what persuades us, what draws us to believing the resurrection is not the academics, it's not the, the, the cerebral study of Scripture. I believe it is the knowledge of Scripture paired with the presence of Jesus. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about, is how Jesus confronted Thomas, I think, in grace. He wanted Thomas to believe. He wanted Thomas to touch and feel and know that he was raised from the grave. And so as we consider this passage, here's how we're going to divide it. Number one... Our fear is confronted by the presence of Jesus. That's not a negative confrontation. That's not a you're in trouble confrontation. I just think Jesus meets us where we are. He confronted Thomas right where he was that he might believe. And he confronts you and I today right where we are that we might believe. Secondly, that, that our faith is affirmed in the presence of Jesus. And then lastly, our faith is celebrated now and it will be even when, later when the Lord Returns, But let's begin with the confrontation uh, of our fear. The fear is con confronted. So um, in verse 24 and 25, all the way through 26, 
We get this testimony of Thomas. Now, the other disciples had already seen Jesus once. And the Bible doesn't tell us why, but, but Thomas wasn't in the room. And so they had gone and told Thomas, Brother, we've seen the Lord. And he has this almost defiant response to that. And he says, Boys, if I haven't seen him, if I haven't touched him, and he, and he uses this language, it's a little gross, but he says, if I don't stick my finger in his wounds, I will not believe. Now, I think what is happening here is that there is an element of fear. And one of the things about fear is fear can paralyze you. It's very likely that the reason why Thomas is not with the disciples when they first see Jesus is that he's retreated to be alone for fear that the hope of Jesus is not true. Can you imagine with me where what he might be feeling? He has lived these last three years with Jesus. I think he has believed all that Jesus has taught and declared to him. I think he had bound up his hope in eternity in the promises of Jesus. He had witnessed all these things. He had had the hope in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus is taken to the cross. He had witnessed Jesus die. He had witnessed Jesus being put in the tomb. And at this point, there's an element of fear in his life that maybe he has believed in something that was not going to pan out to be true. And when you're afraid, you tend to back up. You tend to, to isolate and Um, sequester yourself. This may be why he qualifies his belief. It may be why he, because he fears that it's not to be true. And so he says, if I don't touch him, if I don't feel him, if I can't, if I can't know for sure that he's risen from the, from the dead, I will not believe. One of the commentators I read said, Thomas was indeed a doubter. He was not lacking in courage, loyalty, or devotion to Jesus, but he did have a gloomy disposition. He looked on the darker side of things. Therefore, when the death of Jesus, when the death of the Lord was reported, he responded with the understand the understandable declaration, I will not believe. Now we tend to call Thomas doubting Thomas. You all were pretty familiar with that phrase, but but we don't remember all the time how courageous Thomas had been prior to this moment. In John chapter 11, Jesus is returning to a a hostile area that was not very uh, accommodating to him. The disciples didn't want to go, but Thomas resigned to the fact that they were probably going to have some consequences. And in John chapter 11, verse 16, so Thomas called uh, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. That's not a sissy. That's not a man that's, uh, uh, that, that's, that's shaking in his boots. He's, he's saying, listen, let's just go. Let's get it over with, is what he's saying, that we might die with Jesus. Jesus is teaching the disciples about heaven, to which Thomas responded with, uh, with a gloomy response. In chapter 14, verse 5, he says, Thomas said to the Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He was a man that typically saw the negative side of things. You've been around somebody like that? If you haven't, you may be that person, by the way. We call them around the church, the cold water committee. They always have the reason why it won't work, right? We're gathered together. We're, we've got these great plans. And they're the person sitting on the other side going, well, you know, this is, probably this is going to happen. They can be frustrating. This negative outlook um, can easily be given over to fear. Fear that Jesus was not who he said he was. Fear that the hope of the gospel had not had no real power. Fear that he had wasted the last three years of his life. Fear that all was lost. Notice the first words, though, that Jesus speaks to Thomas. Listen carefully to these words, because I think these are words for us today. In verse 26 in our passage, 
Eight days later, the disciples again are gathered together. This time, they're with Thomas. And Jesus comes in the room. The Bible tells us even though the doors were locked. By the way, you can lock the doors. Jesus is still coming in. Amen? And what does Jesus say? Very first thing out of his mouth. Peace. Peace be with you. In the previous times, Jesus had been with the other disciples. He had already spoken these words twice. Why does he repeat them again? I think he repeats them for Thomas's sake. Friends, fear paralyzes, but the presence of Jesus sets you free. All the things and the teachings of Jesus can make you afraid that they're not enough until you stand in the presence of Jesus. And that sets you free from the fear that paralyzes. Not only does fear paralyze, but doubt can isolate. Now, we've already said that we don't know why Thomas is not with the other disciples. Um, but it may be that, that Thomas's doubt and fear caused him to pull away from the other disciples. This, this could have been, by the way, the frustration to the frustration on the part of the other disciples. When they go and tell him we've seen the Lord, there, there may be a frustration with him. Brother, if you had been with this, you would have already known. But in grace, the other disciples share the good news with Thomas that they have seen and believe the Lord. And I think there's an honest desire there for him to come and see and believe as well. They actively went to Thomas to bring him to Jesus. They wanted him to know. Now, friends, listen to me carefully. There will always be those who struggle with fear and doubt. There will always be those who struggle with fear and doubt. We're some 2,000 years away from the resurrection. If we're reading the testimony of one of the men who spent three years living, sleeping, eating, doing everything in life with Jesus, and even after all of that, he struggled with doubt. Don't you think that doubt's going to be a part of our experience as well? Don't you think that fear is going to be a part of our experience as well? There will always be those who, who separate and disconnect from the fellowship of faith out of fear and out of doubt. I think there's a testimony here that we must seek them out and beckon them back to the Lord. Doubt isolates and defeats, but the presence of Jesus gathers and empowers you for His glory. We're not inviting people just to come and be a part of an organization. What we need to do, dear friends, is like the disciples declare, we've seen the Lord, we know the Lord, come and see Him and know Him as well. Fear paralyzes, doubt isolates, but the presence of Jesus overcomes our fear. Thomas, unfortunately, is often remembered as doubting Thomas. But the truth is that the other disciples had their own doubts until Jesus appeared to them and showed them his hands and his side. The disciples who saw him first believed when they beheld the risen Savior. You may remember they were hiding out, too, until they had seen Jesus themselves. Thomas, too, when he saw Jesus, he dropped the demand to touch Jesus. Did you notice that? Before he saw Jesus in the presence, he was big and bold in, in his declaration. He said, I will not believe until I stick my finger in his wounds. I don't know if he said that for shock effect or he just liked the nasty of it. But, um, but he said, I will not believe. I mean, that's almost defiant. I will not believe. But notice when Jesus shows up, Thomas doesn't touch his hand and he doesn't touch his side. He declares his belief in Jesus because he is present with Jesus. Listen to me carefully on this. Our faith will not come through arguments. You cannot argue somebody into, into heaven. Our faith will not come from facts. You, cannot, you can load somebody up with a library of, of apologetic books and it will not get them to heaven. 
our faith, your faith will not come from proofs. You cannot proof anything until faith comes from being in the presence of Jesus. The only way to bring someone to believe is to bring them to Jesus. We certainly must make every effort to make the factual and historical case for Jesus. That's good and a worthy cause. And we certainly should teach all the testimony that proves Jesus resurrected from the grave. In fact, the reason why John includes this testimony, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, is that he might give us a proof, a testimony, to the physical resurrection of Jesus. Those are good testimonies to give. Faith may be encouraged by these things, but they will not come by these things. Greater than these, we must beckon people to come to the presence of Jesus, to join those who worship Jesus, to come and hear the preaching of Jesus, to pray that Jesus would reveal himself to them, that they too might proclaim Jesus as Lord. Faith comes not by touching and seeing and feeling the wounds. Faith comes by being in the presence of Jesus and declaring him as Lord of your life and believing that God raised him from the dead. That's why we say that, that, fear, um, that, that fear is confronted by the presence of Jesus and the presence of Jesus overcomes our fear. Now there's two other things that happen uh, in, this, in this context. And the first is that faith is affirmed. So look with me in verse 27. So it says, then, then he said to Thomas, Jesus invited Thomas. Now, Jesus knows every thought we've had, every word we've spoken. So Thomas spoke this blustery d declaration that he would not believe unless he touched Jesus in the prophecy with the disciples. Jesus wasn't there, but he knew what Thomas had said. So in this moment, verse 27, Jesus says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is, if that's what you need, brother, then touch. If that's what you need, then feel. If that's what you need to, to not disbelieve, but believe, do what you need to do. <clears throat> Jesus wanted to affirm the faith of the disciples and Part of the way our faith is affirmed is by the physical presence of Jesus. Now, this passage is a wonderful testimony, I think, of the grace of Jesus. Jesus could have walked in this room and he could have confronted Thomas with chastisement. And that would, I, I think, been appropriate. Now, think about this for context for a moment. Thomas had been with Jesus for three years. He had heard all that Jesus had taught. He had witnessed Jesus do amazing things. Raised the dead life. He was there when Lazarus came out of the grave. He had seen those who were deaf hear again, those who were blind see again, the, uh, the lame walk again. He had seen amazing things. He had been there twice when Jesus took meager food and fed thousands and thousands and thousands. He had heard Jesus teach that he was going to, to die and be raised again. He knew all of that and I think it would have been appropriate and probably the tack that I would have taken and for Jesus to come in the room and go, Thomas, what gives, brother? How much more do you need? I mean, do, I need, do you need another three years? Do you need another ten miracles? I mean, brother, you've had more than anybody else, and yet here you are disbelieving when you ought to be believing. Nothing has happened that I didn't already tell you about. But notice the grace of this moment. Jesus confronts Thomas with compassion. In other words, if you need to see me, then look. If you need to touch my wounds, then touch. Jesus met Thomas where he was that he might come to believe, he might come to believe in the resurrection. Now, all of the disciples would give the rest of their lives 
proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. The testimony of the gospel is both that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he is alive today. Now, this testimony is not just doctrinal or theoretical. This, this, this truth is founded on the eyewitness of the disciples and the many other witnesses who saw the physical resurrected Jesus. Jesus invites Thomas to touch his wounds, not to be gross, I don't think, or to be crass, but, but that Thomas could see for himself that Jesus physically and bodily has risen. Here's the point. Our faith in the resurrection of Jesus is affirmed by the physical resurrection of Jesus. You can get lost in theories. You can get lost in the academics. But I think in grace, Jesus met Thomas and said, Brother, if you need to see me, if you need to touch me, let's do it. And I think that, that grace to Thomas is grace to us as well. That you and I might have a testimony that Jesus didn't rise in spirit only. He didn't rise theoretically in the minds of his disciples. No, he rose bodily, physically, even to the extent that his disciples were invited to touch him, to feel him, to see him, that he indeed was risen from the grave. Our faith is affirmed in that, in that witness of the disciples by the presence, the physical presence of Jesus. And ultimately, our faith is affirmed by the witness of all the saints. In verse 29, Jesus recognizes Thomas's faith because he has seen the physical Jesus physically resurrected. So he says in verse 29, um, have you believed because you have seen me? And then he goes on and says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus also recognized that many who would believe would do so without seeing, but because of the testimony of those who had seen. In other words, all of us in this room sitting here today, we've not seen the physical resurrected body of Jesus, but we have believed because of the testimony of those who have. In fact, if you'll read just a little bit further in the next two verses, John tells us the purpose of why he's written and recorded his gospel. Look at what he says in verse, in verse 31. He says, but these are written so that you, and that you here is you and me. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, he wants you to hear the testimony that there were those present with Jesus who saw the physical resurrection of Jesus and bear witness to us today. John's gospel, along with Matthew and Mark and Luke's, are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus physically appeared to many. Many had given their witness to the resurrected Jesus appearing to them. Faith requires that you receive these testimonies and that you believe. Friends, Jesus welcomes all to come and to know him. I was, um, when I was growing up, some of you will identify with this and some of you won't. When I was growing up, um, the only way to watch a movie was to go to the movie theater. And my dad was really cheap, so we never went. Now, the other way you could watch a movie was every now and then on the three stations that our TV got, was every now and then one of the network stations would play a movie. And that didn't happen all the time. It was a big deal when it, when it was. And one of the big deals that would play every about once a year was The Wizard of Oz. Do I have some identity here? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Now, if you don't know what the, the story of Wizard of Oz is, I'm going to pray for you right now because that's kind of sad. But the whole thing about The Wizard of Oz is Dorothy and, and her companions are going uh, to the Emerald City to meet the wizard who apparently can, can grant them 
their desires. And they make it into the Emerald City, and they make it into the Chamber of the Oz, and there's fire, and there's smoke, and there's a booming voice, and it's scary, and Dorothy and all of her, of her, her compatriots are, are afraid because of the, 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 the power and the majesty and the greatness of the, uh, the, the Wizard of Oz until Dorothy's little dog, Toto, goes over to the side and tugs back the curtain. And when the, when the curtain is tugged back, it's revealed an old man. And there he is pulling levers and punching buttons and speaking into a, into a microphone. And he says, as he's trying to pull the curtain back to hide himself, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Because if you can see the man behind the curtain, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 um, the Wizard of Oz loses all of its power, Right? It's just an old man with buttons and a microphone. I want you to see something very, very differently in this passage. The invitation of Jesus is not to avert your eyes. And the invitation of Jesus is not to look somewhere else. In fact, the invitation of Jesus is to come, see, and know. Because see, the more you come, see, and know of Jesus, you don't come to realize how less of power he has you come to see that he has more power than you even thought that he had before you began. Jesus does not hide or remain aloof from his followers. He goes to his disciples. He desires to be with his disciples. He invites his disciples to come and to know him, to come and see, to come and touch, to come and know him. This truth remains today. Jesus desires you to come and know him, to search his word, to read his witness, to seek him in prayer. When you seek the Lord, I believe from the testimony of how Jesus deals with Thomas, that he will meet you right where you are, like he met Thomas right where he was, and welcome you, invite you to come and know him more. Isn't that a beautiful testimony, friends? There's no hiding. There's no averting. There's always an invitation to come and know. Because as you come and know, your faith is more and more and more affirmed. Now, there's one other thing here I want us to see, and that is that your faith is celebrated. And there's really just two things here. In verse 28 and 29, there's a celebration of what happens to Thomas. So in verse 28, Thomas, having seen Jesus in his presence, declares his belief. So here's Thomas, who just a few days earlier is saying, if I don't see him, I don't touch him, and I can't physically feel his wounds. I will not believe. Now, just in the presence of Jesus, he declares in his own, on his own words, my Lord and my God. Now, that's Thomas' declaration. I get it. You are the resurrected Jesus. All that you taught was true. I believe. So this is Thomas's moment of belief. But notice what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Because blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Two things here, friends. Number one, salvation comes through belief. Now, this sounds very simple. And I want to do two things here. I do not want to make anything more complicated than it should be. In fact, it is simple. You, the, the way you are saved, the only way you have entrance into heaven and eternity with God is to confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. You must believe. That's what's happening here with Thomas. He is believing in this moment. Salvation comes through belief. 
Salvation comes through believing that Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. That's why in Romans 9, 10, it's, uh, excuse me, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, it says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is why John says in verse 31 that, the, that, that, that this book, this testimony has been written that, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John recognizes salvation and comes to believe. I'm giving a testimony to who Jesus is that you might believe and be saved. Faith is trusting and believing that God has raised Jesus, that Jesus is alive today, that Jesus is coming again, and that all who are saved will rise again and dwell with God in eternity. Now, for all of his bluster, Thomas believes in verse 28 without ever touching Jesus. I think that's beautiful, by the way. In verse 29, Jesus celebrates all who believe who do not have the privilege of seeing and touching. In verse 31, John celebrates all who will read his account and believe. Believing that Jesus is raised from the dead. Gives hope over the past that Jesus has forgiven in his death your sins. Believing that Jesus is raised from the dead also gives hope for the future that the living Jesus will return and gather his saints unto himself. The same faith that allowed Thomas to believe is the faith that will allow all of you to believe today. Listen to me carefully. There's nothing that's different here. The faith that saved Thomas when he stood in the presence of Jesus is the same faith that can save you today. The beckoning here is to put your trust, your faith, your belief in the resurrected Jesus. Salvation comes from declaring Jesus as Lord and believing that he raised from the dead. Now, there's one other thing about celebrating faith, and that, that is one day, and this is beautiful to me, one day all of our faith will be sight. So for Thomas in this moment, his faith was sight. He got to see Jesus. He got to touch Jesus. He got to spend time with Jesus, and that allowed him to believe. Thomas was blessed to see the resurrected Jesus. Whatever fears he had before, he laid aside when he saw Jesus before him. Now, for you and I, today, faith must come through believing the testimony that God has given us through the disciples. If you're to come to salvation today, it comes through believing the testimony that Thomas' testimony and John's testimony and Mark's testimony and Luke's testimony and Matthew's testimony that indeed Jesus physically died, that he physically rose, and that he's alive today. But listen to me carefully here. There is coming a day. <laughs> oh, a glorious day. When all who have believed, who have not seen, will have their faith become sight. When the resurrected Jesus returns, faith will be no more because faith will come be turned into sight. In other words, we won't have to believe in faith. We will believe in what we see. Now, some of you who grew up in the church will know the old hymn, It Is Well. And maybe you've sung this last verse and didn't really know what it was talking about. But listen to these words in this context. It says, O Lord, haste the day. When my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. 
The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. The vision of that verse is the vision of the day when Jesus returns. And all the saints who have believed in faith without seeing the resurrected Jesus will have our faith become sight as the presence of the living Jesus is before us. This is why, this is what, by the way, Paul is referring to in, in 1 Corinthians 13. It's this very famous verse. You may have heard it before and didn't know what he's talking about. In verse, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul writes these words. He says, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In other words, he's talking about there that today we have to have faith. And today we have to have hope. And today we have to have love. But in glory, there's no need for hope. Because all the promises of God will be fulfilled. Amen. And in glory, listen to me, there won't be any need for faith because our faith will be sight. We will be in the presence of God for eternity. In glory, all that remains for eternity upon eternity upon eternity is the everlasting love of Jesus. Dear friends, the testimony of Scripture beckons you to faith. He calls you to come and believe on Jesus and be saved. Your faith today will be sight in the glory to come. It doesn't really matter who you are, where you come from, what your story is. Everybody, and I mean everybody, has faith in something. No one here today is a person who is without faith in something. Now, some will put their faith in their own ability. It may be confidence in their intellectual power, their physical ability, or their practical skill. But all who put their faith in their own ability will discover someday disappointment in the grave when all of your ability is robbed from you. Some will put their faith in the powers of this world. They have confidence in the stability of government, the strength of militaries, and the promise of tomorrow being the same as it was today. But all those who put faith in the powers of this world will discover disappointment when governments fall, when militaries lose, when money loses value, and what stands today is no more tomorrow. The testimony of Scripture calls you to put your faith in Jesus, who was pierced for our transgressions, and who was crushed for our iniquities who died and was put in the grave and he rose again on the third day and is alive today and by his wounds alone are we healed. Now salvation requires faith. Faith that Jesus is Lord. Faith that he rose from the grave. Faith that he lives today. The faith that brings salvation today will be rewarded with sight when Jesus returns. On that day, with the wounded side and with the nail-scarred hands, He will welcome those who believed into glory of His eternal presence forever and ever and ever and ever. And where we are today, friends, listen to me very clearly. Where we are today is we are a people who have received the witness of those who have seen the risen Jesus, who believed in faith and tell us we have seen the Lord. He is alive today. And the invitation, the beckoning call today is to believe, to believe on Jesus and be saved.
Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.